31 verses, actually, I believe. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now let's turn over to Matthew chapter 2, uh, the first 12 verses. There we see a little bit more what happened after the birth of the Messiah. Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, 
They went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So far the reading of scripture for now. Let's sing together in response about these events with the words of hymn 21, stanzas 1 to 4. for the message this morning is the first seven verses of Luke chapter 2. I'll just quickly read those again. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Brothers and sisters, this holiday season, this Christmas day, I know that a lot of you have family visiting, uh, some from far away. And in the weeks leading up to Christmas, uh, if you were very excited about your family and friends coming, then what did you do? I imagine when you were excited, you started to prepare. You started to get ready. 
We have some family members uh, that we've spent quite a lot of time with. And often when we were planning to come over, we would make our plans, and then uh, soon afterwards, uh, they'd start sending us pictures. They'd start showing us pictures that they were getting our place prepared. They'd send a picture that the bed was made. They'd take a picture when they sent up the crib. They'd send another picture when the uh, fridge was stocked with all of our favorite food. They showed that their, their excitement by beginning to prepare a place for us. On Christmas Day, of course, we celebrate the greatest arrival the world has ever known. The coming of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And here in this text, we see, with regard to his coming, uh, an implicit call. A call to prepare him room. So we'll explore this passage in two parts. First, we'll see a seemingly unprepared world. And then secondly, we'll see a perfectly prepared God. So first of all, a seemingly unprepared world. And it seems, if you think about it, that this event that we just read about uh, should have been, up until this point, by far the most highly anticipated event in the history of the world. The Bible, as I'm sure you know, is a very long book, isn't it? And it was written over thousands of years. And yet, as Jonathan Edwards, uh, a famous preacher from the 1700s, once wrote, all that had happened from the beginning of the Bible, from the fall up until this point that we just read about, was only preparation. Though millions of sacrifices had been offered, yet nothing was done to actually purchase redemption of God's people until now. And so think of the great kingdom of Israel developing over the years. Think of the tabernacle, the priests, the temple. In a sense, they were all leading up to and anticipating this point, this great day. Everything since the fall and the promise of a Savior in the garden. And yet, reading this passage, we almost don't get that sense, do we? Reading this passage, we're struck by the fact that in spite of all this build-up and anticipation, it seems the world is utterly unprepared for this event. I wonder if you've heard before of the phenomenon of nesting. You know nesting? Uh, a strong natural desire to get everything ready and perfectly in order for the arrival of a new baby. At the very least, we'd expect in this passage to see some nesting, some preparation in that way for a new baby. But there's no room even for nesting here. Instead, Mary and Joseph are forced to travel about 90 miles far from home, right in time to have a baby. When they get there again, it seems unprepared. There isn't even room for them in the inn. Instead, they end up in some sort of a stable. And while they're there, it comes time for this long-anticipated, this long-awaited Savior to be born. And we get incredibly, incredibly familiar with this story. And nativity scenes especially make it seem kind of neat and cute. But think for a second, is this a neat and cute kind of story? Imagine if you heard of a young couple dealing with anything even close to this today. It's time for them to have their baby and they're stuck far from home, having to find some place in a stable, being forced to put their baby in a food trough because they had nowhere else to put him. Is that a cute and fun story? Not really. You think that's sort of a tragic story. 
It's almost an ominous story when we're talking about the coming of the Savior of the world. The events all around this birth show now, this isn't just a coincidence either. In a very real way, even after countless prophecies and thousands of years, it seems this world is not ready for this child. This was the birth of the Messiah. Think of it. This was the first time since the Garden of Eden that God had come down to directly dwell with man. And this should have been a great time of feasting and celebration as any birth was. But how much more the birth of the Lord, the King of all. God once again coming to be with man. And yet, as God and his people had been opposed and challenged throughout the whole Old Testament, the prophets had been ignored and mocked and even put to death. And immediately here, it seems to, the world isn't ready. And this was just the start of the story. We read a bit more of the aftermath of this birth in Matthew uh, chapter 2, which we read earlier. God reveals to some that the long-awaited Messiah finally had come. And so, as they ought to, they traveled from far away to see him and to fall down and worship him. And the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Yet there we read of Herod. Herod doesn't worship. He doesn't celebrate. He doesn't bow down, though he claims that he wants to. Instead, Herod begins to plot. He plans to destroy this little child. He asks for information to find the Messiah to get rid of him. And he kills countless others in the process. And maybe with Herod, we can sort of, maybe, wrap our heads around this unpreparedness, uh, this, this kind of behavior. Because if you look into Herod, you, we know about him from history. You can find out this wasn't out of character for Herod at all. Allegedly, uh, Caesar Augustus, who we also read of in our text, once said of Herod that you would be safer as his swine than as his son. Herod was so quick, so harsh in dealing with anyone who might threaten to take the throne from him. And so this is tragic, a tragic part of the story, that the Son of God sent to take away the sins of the world, the one that Herod and all of us need to get back to God and reign with him again, but rather than submit to him, Herod seeks out immediately to get rid of him. Though perhaps Herod's unpreparedness for the, the Savior, we can understand a little bit. But we need to realize it wasn't just Herod who was unprepared for a new king. If you think back to Matthew chapter 2, who did Herod call to ask about this Messiah, where he was supposed to come from? We read in Matthew 2 verse 4 that he, Herod, assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people, and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. That makes perfect sense. Who else would you ask about where this Messiah was supposed to be born? And they told him. And then we need to consider what did these men, the scribes and the religious leaders, and even the chief priests among them, what did they do when they heard that it seemed the Messiah had come, that there were rumors that he was here? We don't know for sure, but it seems like they went home. Doesn't that seem shocking? The religious leaders of the time, the ones who should have been most prepared, most excited for the Messiah, they don't go to seek him. Instead, we get a little bit of insight into how they felt in Matthew 2, verse 3, which we read together. There we read, When Herod the king 
heard about the coming of the Messiah, the King of the Jews, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. The Israelites, God's own people, hearing of the coming of the Messiah, they seem to be nervous. They seem to be disturbed. They didn't celebrate. They, they were scared. They realized this would change everything. This would disrupt their lives. They weren't ready for this king. They weren't even sure if they wanted this king, it seems. And this started at Jesus' birth. But this was the story of Jesus' whole life, wasn't it? For now, it seemed the Israelites and many uh, of the leaders, they ignored the Messiah. They were whispering to one another about him. They were disturbed. But they wouldn't be whispering about Jesus for long. Later on in his life, before too long, the chief priests and the scribes wouldn't just ignore Jesus. They would come out to get Jesus. They would ask questions and plot and try and trap Jesus. Before long, they would get the crowd to join, in them, or join them in shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! Give us Barabbas the murderer and the insurrectionist. Just get rid of this man. The long-awaited Messiah. This world had no room for the Messiah. And the terrifying reality is even the Old Testament people of God, the Old Testament church, in large part, they too had no room for him either. They believed in God. They studied the scriptures. They professed to love and obey the law. They professed to be eagerly awaiting a savior from God himself. And they got him. God sent his own son. And here it seems they're utterly unprepared. Here he is and they ignore him. And when they can't ignore him, they oppose him. And the question for us this Christmas day is the same. Brothers and sisters, good news of great joy. The Messiah is here. God in the flesh. Are we ready for him? This changes everything. We can't live the same way anymore. This should disturb our lives. Are we ready for him? By God's grace, as we go on reading, we find not everyone was unprepared. By God's grace, many were filled at this good news with great joy. If you continue reading in Luke chapter 2, you'll quickly read about Simeon. We read of Simeon, a man who is righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. This is where his hope truly was. And when he met this little child, Jesus, we read he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. And likewise, by God's grace, you read through the Gospels, you read through church history, and many others became ready to receive, to worship and praise and trust this Savior. I always think of the words of the Apostle Peter. And this is often used as a negative example and for good reason, because afterwards, uh, shortly afterwards, Peter denies Jesus. But in humility, uh, I hope and pray that we can get to the point where we trust and love Jesus so much that even in our weakness, we want to say along with the Apostle Peter, Lord, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. By God's grace through the Bible, through church history, we see many people making that confession as they come to meet this Jesus. 
And so this Christmas morning and every Sunday, again, do we have room for this Messiah? In our weakness, are we devoted to him? And do we long to give our lives to him and for him? Because brothers and sisters, after hundreds and thousands of years, God came down in the flesh and dwelt among people again. And that changes everything. This child radically demands our faith and our life and our everything. And even after generations of preparation, many in this world weren't ready, even people who insisted the whole time. We are ready. This is what we are waiting for. So in this Christmas story, first of all, we're confronted with a seemingly unprepared world. But thankfully, we also find a perfectly prepared God. That's our second and final point. Now, considering the world's reception of the prophets and then of the Son of God, the Messiah himself, it's extremely disturbing. But yet we get an incredible picture of hope in the first verse of our passage uh, of Luke uh, 2, verse 1. There we read, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all of the world should be registered. Now, I wonder this morning if you know who Caesar Augustus is. This was the great Augustus. He was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. You might have heard of him. He was the first emperor of Rome, Caesar Augustus was. He was the longest ruling emperor of Rome. He was very likely the greatest emperor of Rome. He ruled for over 40 years, and he laid the foundation for a 200-year Pax Romana, Roman peace, one of the greatest times of peace the world had ever known, simply because there was no one left to fight, no one who could challenge the greatness of the Roman Empire. Caesar Augustus laid the foundation for the Roman Empire, which lasted in various forms for nearly 1,500 years after him. Caesar Augustus, in a sense, he was the man, and we get the sense a little bit that he knew that he was the man. Commentators suggest that Caesar Augustus went by a number of different titles. Augustus, in fact, is a title. But he also went by the title Lord. He liked to be called Master. He liked to be called the Savior, the Savior of the world. People referred to him as the one who brought peace to the world. In fact, Caesar Augustus and others, they considered him divine. The title he took to show that was the Son of God. That is who Caesar Augustus is. And in this passage, he calls a census. And when he does, he moves Joseph and Mary and the little baby in her womb from the little town of Nazareth to the little town of Bethlehem just before his birth. And here we get a picture of one of the greatest leaders the world has ever known. All the world, it seems, bows to him. We read in this text, he decrees, and all the world moves. They all obey him. And he's contrasted in this text with a little baby that seemingly no one had room for, born to poor parents who didn't even have enough clout to get a guest room, even at nine months pregnant. And yet, as we read this story, we can turn back a few pages in our Bibles to Micah 5, verse 2. And there we read the words that God had given his people 700 years prior to these events, long before Caesar Augustus or the Roman Empire had ever been conceived of. There God said to his people, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, 
one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Here, 700 before, uh, years before the events in our text, God promises a new king, God's own king, promised from the little town of Bethlehem. And this king's origins, God said, would be from of old, already 700 years before Augustus. He says that these, uh, uh, this baby's origins would be from of old, from ancient days, way back, stretching into eternity. A king who would come to Bethlehem, who would have been around long before Caesar Augustus, and who would remain around long after Caesar Augustus had died, who would continue to reign because death could never defeat this coming king. And what we see here is even in this sinful, seemingly uncooperative world who's not ready for the Savior, God is perfectly in control, working for the salvation of his people, those on whom his favor rests. The Lord is perfectly prepared, and he's worked things out from of old. Even the whims of Caesar Augustus, the great, even his whims are in his hand. I love how it's said in Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. Our Lord is the one who has control over all things. He can move mountains. He flung stars into space. He can make the sun stand still. He knows the end from the beginning. And even the great emperor's heart is like putty in his hands, doing his bidding. And so we get here a picture of a perfect God orchestrated hundreds and thousands of years perfectly. And he did it so to bring about the coming of his son, our Savior, to bring us back to him to, and to see him and live with him and walk with him again. And the amazing truth in this text is this great, powerful, sovereign God who could, can do anything. This God moved world history, moved the hearts of emperors, and worked through time and space to bring his son. And when he brought his son into the world, he brought him into Bethlehem, this tiny little town. He had him born in a stable. He had him wrapped in cloths and laid in a feed trough. That was our awesome, sovereign God's plan for our salvation. As one commentary says, here in the manger, we see that God has not brought the Messiah that we expected. Instead, he brought the Messiah that we needed. This newborn baby, this postpartum woman, I can't imagine having them in a stable and laying this newborn little baby in what we have to assume couldn't have been a very clean food trough. And yet, that's where the God of the universe willingly put his newborn son. His son who willingly came to earth from eternity, knowing the circumstances he'd be put into. And brothers and sisters, that was just the beginning of the life of the Messiah, the Messiah that no one expected, that many people were offended by, but the Messiah that you and I, sinners like us, so desperately need the one that we worship and bow down to and adore this morning. All of history led to this point, and this was just the start. As Paul says so beautifully in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, For you know the grace 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. On Christmas Day, we see God taking on our flesh and dwelling among us, not to conquer us by force, but rather to conquer our hearts and rule in them by serving us and by saving us, by cleansing us from our sin and guilt, by humbling himself and taking it upon himself. And we see our Savior, our salvation, Jesus Christ, already on Christmas morning, wrapped in swaddling cloths. And commentators tell us when we think of swaddling cloths, don't just think of how we swaddle babies nowadays and they look really cozy and comfortable. But think of a little baby with his limbs tightly bound straight, so they thought, to prevent deformities. The Son of God himself came down, and he was bound. He would do that so that he might save you and me. And in fact, this little baby, when he grew up, he would be bound in much worse ways than that. See, the Son of God come in the flesh, wrapped already now on Christmas morning in swaddling cloths, Later, for you and me, he would be wrapped in bloody grave clothes for you and me. See him on Christmas, seemingly helpless in a manger. And know that later he would be stretched out, seemingly helpless on a cross, as the people mocked him. And then his lifeless body would be laid in a tomb. I read this past week. If you want to see a glimpse of God's love for you, First look to Jesus in a manger. Then look to Jesus on the cross. Brothers and sisters, this isn't the kind of Messiah we expected. It's not the kind of Messiah we thought that we needed. Not the one by nature we want. But this is the Messiah that guilty sinners like us desperately need in a world filled with sin, and sin not just out there. Sin in our own hearts. We need a Messiah that's greater than the world has ever known, more powerful, yet willing to humble himself lower than we would ever dare think or hope. And brothers and sisters, on Christmas we have him. What a Savior. What a Messiah. And so the Son of God was humbled to life in human flesh, to being laid in a feed trough. Then willingly he went on in his life to be tempted, mocked, rejected, even humbled on the cross. And as Christ went willingly to the cross, he turned to his disciples and he explained to them the plan, the plan for the salvation of their souls and ours. He explained to them he was about to accomplish what he came to do, the way he came to save their souls by ransoming them with his own blood. And he explained after that that he would leave them for a time, but he said to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Christ, the one through whom all things were created, the one who, unlike Caesar Augustus, truly ruled every square inch of this world. He came and found himself without a place to lay his head. 
but he did it so that he might secure and prepare the best place for you and for me, once again in the presence of his Father. What a Savior. And so this Christmas day and this year ahead, brothers and sisters, make room for this Messiah, God's Messiah, not whatever Messiahs we have in our heads. Make room for the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who by his birth and his death shows that our hearts are more desperately sick than we would ever dare think, but that God loves and forgives us more than we would ever dare hope. Make room for God's Messiah because this is the king of the universe. May he be the king of our hearts and lives as well. May he tell us how to live with God and for God again. May we all listen to the Lord who orchestrated all of history so that he, by mere grace, might humble himself, taking the form of a servant, though he was in the form of God, so that he might prepare a room for you and me once again. Amen.